The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews. Presented by IV Creative, it's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and want to give a shout out once again to all the fans out there stateside and worldwide for continuing to support the show. Guys, thank you so much for continuing to show us love, spreading the word out there. Our numbers continue to grow. Thank you out there to all of our partners out there, fellow podcasters, content creators who show us some love. Also, big shout out there to Technically a Conversation. We have a collaboration going on with them right now. We definitely can see the love that they are showing us out there with our ad running on their program. So shout out to them over there. We definitely love the fact that we can see the growth that is coming as a result of our promo running over there. And hopefully they're seeing the same from their promo running on our show as well. As a reminder, just want to make sure that you all are going to our website, vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. You can go there, check out the back catalog of episodes. Also, you can leave us a voice note, leave us a review. Also, you can go to our Buy Me a Coffee page to support the show monetarily, to show us that you support us, and also to make sure that the vault stays open for many years to come. So go there to show us some love on the website. Also, all the social media page links are there as well. That's vaultclassicpod.com. And we have a bonus episode here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews. We don't do this too often, but we actually have a pop culture corner bonus segment today. And that's when we talk about things in the past and pop culture. We talk about movies. We talk about television shows. We talk about many different things in the last 20, 25, and 30 years that happen that we like to commemorate when their anniversaries come And today we have a special one and we're going to go back 20 years ago for this special pop culture corner. About 20 years ago, there was a movie that came out and this movie touched a lot of different people in different ways, but in particular for this movie goer and for this music fan, it touched me in the fact that in some ways, I do like black rom-coms, especially the ones where they have good actors in them. And I think they had some, you know, for me, pretty decent actors in this one. And in this particular one, they had the it factors when it came to black rom-coms in this particular movie. And they talked about hip hop. So I was in, <laughs> and at this time I was in college. And so you take black rom-coms, you take hip hop, you put that together. And it was a winning formula to me. So we're going to go back to October. 11th, 2002, and the theatrical release of none other than Brown Sugar, starring Tay Diggs and Sanaa Lathan, also co-starring Nicole Ari Parker, Boris Kojo, Queen Latifah, 
and then known as Most Deaf, now known as Yasin Bey, a romantic comedy based around hip-hop. Again, a movie that did very, very well considering audience and the fact that at that time there were black rom-coms that were doing well because it was such a segmented audience. But I thought considering the fact that the budget was $8 million and it grossed worldwide $28 million, it actually did pretty well. This was a movie that was based on two fronts that had all grown up. Both were actually involved in the work of music. One was a music critic that worked for uh, the Los Angeles Times, then went to work for XXL and was also writing a book. And then the other one was a music executive at a record label. But they were united in the fact that they discovered hip hop on a New York street corner. And now they were going toward their futures as adults. And what united them was two things. One, their love of hip hop. And then eventually, as we came to find out in this movie, their care, admiration, and eventually their love for each other. So it was a uh, a formula that some people kind of found a little bit corny, but I thought it was actually a pretty cool thing to run with. Now, the good thing about this movie is that at this time with the cast, and this was directed uh, by Rick Famuyiwa, and he was um, he directed this film. It was produced by Magic Johnson. Uh, we told you about the stars in this one as well. This also had a lot of cameos by hip-hop personalities, artists as well. You had a lot of cameo appearances, especially in the beginning by Big Daddy Kane, Koozie Rap, Pete Rock, De La Soul, Black Thought, Jermaine Dupree, Talib Kweli, Common, Method Man, Slick Rick, Dana Dane, Dougie Fresh, Questlove, Russell Simmons, Kamora Lee Simmons, Beanie Siegel, Angie Martinez, and Fabulous all appeared in this movie in some form or fashion. So it was a movie that definitely involved the hip-hop community in it as well. That's what I thought was really cool about it. And because it was a movie that talked a lot about the history of hip-hop and getting back to the essence of hip-hop was something that was a winning formula for a lot of folks and a lot of folks in that audience. So, when'd you fall in love with hip-hop? I basically fell in love with hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? When cats first started going out to the parks, you know, with the two turntables, the mic. I think it was 1977. People are rocking in the parks. I can remember back in the Bronx, 1979. Set up some turntables in front of the building. And it was getting the power from the street lamps outside. Plugs it up into the street pole. MC and DJ and B-Boy and breakdancing. Breakdancing or popping beats or rhymes, you know. I, I was in love with it. Probably about 12 years old, man, and I was watching Wild Style. It was creative, it was new, it was fresh. Breaking, rapping, battling, just the whole culture period. The Bambada show, Africa Islam show. It was just like our way of expression. Hip hop spoke directly to me because, you know, it, it was speaking from the language that the people I was dealing with was speaking in. And I loved it as soon as I, as soon as I got introduced to it. I was gonna be dealing with hip hop whether I, I wanted to or not. Like a forced marriage, it was, it was predetermined. And I heard Eric Beast for president, and that kind of changed my life. I heard the message, Melly Mel. There was a rapper named Eddie Chiba, who was one of the pioneers. When I first heard Sugar Hill Gang. Rapper's Delight. Rapper's Delight. That set it off for rap music. Funky Four plus one more. Plus one more, you know what I'm saying? Furious Five, Freedom. Running them and Houdini freestyling. Sucker MCs by Run DMC. Sucker MCs live. Grandmaster Flash on the wheels of steel. Grandmaster Cass from the Cold Crush Brothers. Cold Crush. Cold Crush. Cold Crush. Grandmaster Flash. Treacherous Three, Body Rock, Spoonie G, Love Rap, 
The first time I heard Rebel without a pause. Eric B and Rockin and APMD and them. I, I gotta say, Public Enemy as a group, you know, classics, bangers. I mean, to this day, they bangers. I just loved what it, what it sounded like. And I love what he was saying. You know, the whole slick tongue thing. I felt like these these dudes is the truth. Forget everything else you heard on the radio and all that. This is it. This is what I want to do. I was in. It was freedom. So the main characters in Brown Sugar were Dre and Sydney. Dre played by Tay Diggs. Sydney played by Sanaa Lathan. Now, Dre and Sydney both grew up in the Boogie Down Bronx in the South Bronx, and they discovered hip hop on a street corner in New York in the Bronx, and that's how they fell in love with hip hop. And Sid, as the movie's opening, is writing in her book about how she fell in love with hip hop. And she's talking about how she first fell in love with hip hop when she heard the Kango crew and the Get Fresh crew, legendary hip hop crews in hip hop. And uh, did it, of course, as she was hanging out with Dre when they were kids. They were, she was talking about this at this time in the movie open. She's working with the Los Angeles times. She's getting ready to leave the LA times and go work as the editor in chief for double XL, which at that time was a few years old in the real world. And she was getting ready to leave for a big hip hop publication, which was a big, big deal for a woman to leave to become the editor in chief for at double XL. And so she was having a going away party. And in the middle of this, she gets a call from her old friend, Dre, who was working as an executive in an A&R with Millennium Records. He's calling because, of course, he sent a review, uh, a music over for her to review at the LA Times, one of the biggest newspapers in the country, to be able to see. And he wants to get a jump to see what that review is going to look like. And of course, and it was actually hilarious how it turned out, because you could tell you were dealing with a homeboy and a homegirl who have been around each other, who have known each other forever. Hey, what's up, girl? You knew it wasn't about to let you leave without my ink, right? I know you don't have me on speaker, do you? I mean, I mean yeah, but it's, it's, it's just me. So, what's good? Apologize first. What happened? Apologize first. You know the routine. Say it. I'm sorry. Uh, all right, I'm sorry for being a, a self-centered uh, ass. Actually, change that to impatient. Yeah, you can't be uh, adding extras here, Sid. Tell me something. Does Simon know you went to bed till you were 12? Hey, okay. Uh, I'm sorry for being a uh, self-centered, arrogant. Uh, no break dancing. You crazy. No, I know. Now you, no, I ain't crossing that line. You know you can Just say it, Dre. I got your review in my hands. I'll put it at the bottom of the stack. Come on. Hi. No break dancing. No break dancing ass who's taking advantage of his friendship. The Los Angeles Times. The new editor of Double XL. The new editor of Double XL for his personal, professional advancement. Are you happy now? Mm-hmm. Congratulations. I think you got another kid on your hands. <laughs> Thank you, Sid. Yeah. Couldn't wait one week for the review to come out, huh? So what's the deal? Are you uh, you going to be home in time for Russell's party? Oh, look at you. Like, you're on a first-name basis with Russell Simmons. Oh, no, you know how I do it. Yes, I'll be home for the Def Jam party. My bags are packed and my boxes are packed. Oh, I cannot wait to see you big time. Bye, girl. Peace. Bye. Bye, Dre. 
really crazy, right? So that kind of sets the scene for the movie. So Dre is this A&R for Millennium Records, and he is, not only that, he's also dating and courting this beautiful young attorney, Reese Ellis, who is working in New York City as an attorney, and eventually he proposes to her and they become engaged. Now, as Sydney moves to New York and comes over and uh, they're sort of talking, now the night before his wedding, he and Sydney are sort of like talking and as he's sort of going through these pre-wedding jitters, she's sort of reassuring him and making sure that everything's going to be okay. And then he and Sid have a kiss and then they almost do the dirty thing, but then they stop themselves. And then when the wedding comes around, you know, Sydney's there and then her cousin Francine, who was played by Queen Latifah. And by the way, Reese is played by none other than the lovely Nicole Ari Parker. Francine is sort of deducing that there's things going on between Sydney and Dre and is trying to tell her to be the one who speaks up and not forever hold her peace during the ceremony. And of course, Sid's not going to do that. And then Dre is going to go ahead and they marry and her and Re- him and Reese to get together. And then eventually certain while Sydney sort of deals with it. And then eventually she settles into a relationship with a guy who is a NBA player, Kelby, who was played by Boris Kojo. And surprisingly enough, Nicole Ari Parker and Boris Kojo eventually ended up getting into a relationship some years down the road. And they are now married, as far as I know. As from, um, man, I don't know if they've been divorced yet or not. But anyway, we go further down the road with Dre and his life in Millennium Records. Now, Dre, of course, comes from the old school of hip-hop. He knows how hip-hop used to be, the way it started in the park, the essence of how it used to be. But at this point in time, as you know, if you're following things in real life, in real time around 2002, hip-hop is starting to change. So... Things are sort of happening around the label. And when Dre is dealing with his boss, Simon, who has played none other than Wendell Pierce of The Wire fame and many other different shows and movies as well, he's sort of encouraging him to sign these acts that are sort of on the fringe of, you know, hey, these guys, are they are they real? Are these parodies? Are you like, are you kidding me? During this time when he's sort of scouting these, te- these questionable talent, he meets this cab driver, Chris played by most deaf, AKA Cavi. Now, Chris or Cavi is a cab driver who works as a taxi driver during the day and then performs at night as a rapper. And Dre has seen him also has uh, heard his music and is impressed with him. But Dre's boss, Simon wants him to sign this hilarious parody of a rap act called Ren and 10. Can't make this up called the hip hop Dalmatians and they have a demo song. Like it's almost like a play off of the boy is mine and it's called that hoe is mine. And so that's who he wants him to sign to millennium records and Dre's not feeling it at all. So at some point in time, Dre's like, yo, look, man, I got involved to do this, to do, real A&R work to scout real talent. Like I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm choosing for the love of the game more than anything else. And I'm out. So then he decides to quit and decides that he wants to try to form his own label and decides to call that label. You guessed it. Brown sugar records. 
And what he decides he wants to do is he wants to focus on bringing back real hip hop, bringing it back to the essence because he thinks that there's still a spot out there for people who like real music and um, the music that his generation sort of fell in love with. The one that he grew up hearing, you know, and he approaches Cavi about the idea. And while Cavi is sort of skeptical at first because of what he was previously involved with, with millennium, he manages to sign him to his label now, obviously, when Reese first hears about this, she is not supportive of the idea. I mean, when you have a lady who's working as an attorney and your husband is working as an A&R and I'm guessing as a somewhat successful label and you have a certain amount of financial success and you're living in New York City, eventually you're worried about where the money's going to come from. Because when you're running your own label, uh, money's not going to come like soon. So... She's wondering whether or not they're going to be able to survive financially, whether or not they're going to be living on her buck and her buck alone. And so Sid thinks it's a great idea as her and Dre start spending more time together, you know, as a result of him leaving his label, she settles into her post to double XL and continuing to write this book. And she sort of takes, I guess like a partnership sort of like in the label. And as they get closer and closer Reese really gets jealous of the fact that Dre and Sydney are so close because they've been friends for all these years. As a matter of fact, there's a scene in the movie where Sid is working out in the gym and they're like doing this boxing exercise or kickboxing exercise. And she expressed her frustration working out with Sid while I guess like hitting into mitts or something that she tells her that, you know all the things about my husband that he won't tell me because I can't get close enough to him because of you. Sort of that's the way what she's inferring. (laughs) And it's a really, really like interesting moment that the two of them have as a result of that because she really is jealous because of that. And I think that plays into something that happens a little bit later on. And that really is, I mean, I think a catalyst as far as how things ended up unraveling a little bit later afterwards so in the meanwhile Sid also has a relationship going on with Kelby who's an NBA player and he proposes to her and she becomes engaged but Dre isn't really feeling the fact that his friend his best friend is going to now be engaged to this guy that she hasn't known that well and he tells her because he thinks that he's not really authentic like he's not real like what he's putting on is really a you know it's a fad it's a front that he's not real, that he's fake. And so Sid doesn't really hear all of that, doesn't really agree. But then later on, as she started like being around Kelby, he sort of understands like, okay, Dre may have some merit to this. Cause when she talks to him, he doesn't even read her articles at the magazine. Doesn't really pay attention to the things that she's writing. It's almost like he doesn't have any type of interest in the work that she does. And that's a big, big red flag. If your partner doesn't have any type of interest in the work that you do and, you know, like he's just too busy, like he has no time to read anything it is that you do whatsoever. So then here comes the big part of it, how everything sort of comes into a climax. Eventually, Dre discovers that Reese has been cheating on him with some guy from the gym. And while he's in a recording session with with Kathy, he ends up going and figuring out that she's at a restaurant. And so as a result, he brings Sid with him to catch her in the act. They end up going to the restaurant. And this is how the whole situation plays out. And I think to me, 
This is probably one of the most hilarious exchanges out of the whole movie. Richard, look at Richard. Yo, Chris. What's up? You got your cab with you? Richard Lawson. Richard Lawson. All right, you sound educated. Good for you, girl. Good. Um, you guys, um, friends of Reese's, huh? Yeah, well, actually, the funny thing is, she's my wife. What? <laughs> oh. Look, hey, I'm sorry. I, That's I, cool. I... That's cool. How could you know? She ain't wearing the $15,000 ring that I bought her as. Ah, she's they still paying off, but Actually, you understand. Could you not put my Welcome. business out on the joining us for dinner? Listen, my no, man. you know what? We were just about to leave. I'm trying to order the most expensive bottle of champagne because we finna celebrate. Dre. We gonna celebrate what? My divorce. How about that? And some pork chops because I'm kind of hungry. All right, I good. I want to make a scene. You know what I'm saying? Bye, bye, Richard Lawson. This <laughs> I just love. I love the fact when he, when Trey goes, my divorce <laughs> and some pork chops. I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> and the other thing that kills me is the Richard Lawson. You sound educated. Good for you, girl. He trips me out, man. So that happens and he catches her red handed. Like she can't even deny it anymore. She tried to play it off as much as she could in the restaurant. But the way that he kind of set that up was very masterful. So then they end up going back to Sid's apartment and Sid's trying to make sure he's okay. And then they share this moment, which definitely complicate things a whole lot further so if things weren't going downhill, then they definitely start going downhill now. Cause damn. Uh, you want anything? Coffee? Uh, nah. Vodka? I wanted them pork chops. I told you we should have stayed. How can you joke about this? Cause I'm going to be flipping out. <laughs> See, I do not know. I guess I'll break down later. You know what though? I'm glad I know now. I guess I always knew deep down inside that we weren't meant to be together. Yeah? Mm. And when'd you figure that out? The night before the wedding. Something happened between me leaving the house 
And, um, getting to the wedding. But, you know, I shook it off because, damn, I had a beautiful woman that loved me to death. So, you know, I took all those feelings and locked them away because not everybody can marry their one true love. It was a pretty difficult situation. Do you, uh, you know anybody like that? No, I don't. No. But I do know somebody that was friends with this guy a long time, and she thought maybe it was more than just friends, but something happened to her, coincidentally, mm. before your wedding. And she realized it was nothing more than just friends. Nothing? Nothing. Just friends. Just friends. I can't believe what just happened. I know. I don't know what to say. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> real, real quickly. It's wild. So... This all comes about, and now it's just like they finish, and they next more the next day they're sort of like, "Hey, I don't know how this thing is gonna work out." Sid is sort of freaking out because she's like, "You're still married. I'm engaged. Like we shouldn't even done this. This was a mistake." And he was like, "Well, you're still gonna marry this dude after what we just did last night." And she was just like, "We can't. This can't happen. Like you know, we can't do this anymore." It was like, she's like, this was really a mistake. It really, really was a big mistake. But definitely as they were talking and everything happened, they were talking about this. And all of a sudden it's like, she comes to the realization that she can't marry this dude, Kelby. I mean, really this was a reaction, the result of Dre marrying Reese and she didn't love this dude. And she calls off the engagement and as she's looking for Dre to finally catch up with him to tell him how she really fails, she sees Reese and Dre as they're parting with each other, knowing that they're getting ready to divorce and separate and everything else like that. After Reese and Dre have a talk with each other to sort out whatever it is that they're going through. And then she misconstrues, she pretty much mistakes that for it being more than what it actually is. So this leads to a point in time where they sort of separate for a little while. Sid has finished her book and the book is called I Used to Love Him and H-I-M, you know, with dots after the H, the I and the M, like an acronym. And it reminds me, just like the common song, I Used to Love Her, the song that was about hip hop. And though the book is based on her love affair with hip hop, it actually is a timeline of her love for Dre throughout the years. So whenever you hear her talk about when she fell in love with hip hop and when she's talking about hip hop throughout the book and throughout her narration in the movie, what she's actually talking about, she's talking about Dre. So that's really, I think, the clever thing about the metaphor of hip hop and the love source, the actual love source in this movie being a person. And now hip hop was a metaphor for this person in this movie. So I thought it was really cleverly done. 
this is how it comes is that Sid goes on Angie Martinez's show on Hot 97 and Cavi has his first single and he gets it to be able to be played on Hot 97. So throughout all this time, he's working in the background. He finally works with people, works with the radio execs to get Cavi's single played on Hot 97 and he works his ass off to get this done. And they're going to play it on Angie Martinez's show, which is one of the top morning shows in New York for everybody. Everybody knows this. And Sid is doing an interview to promote her book. And so she gives a message on the show that says she want to give a shout out to hip hop. She said, I love you and I love you still. And as they're saying that Cavi and Dre are listening and it made a reference to something about Cavi calling Dre Humphrey Bogart earlier. And he said, you better go get her Humphrey. <laughs> so they drive in Cavi's cab down to hot 97 studios and Dre calls in on the phone when they're taking callers. And this is the scene that, Famously, the movie ends on as they're getting ready to play Cavi's single that Dre calls in and talks to Sydney, and finally the big payoff comes. Okay. Uh, Sydney Shaw, when did you fall in love with hip hop? When I heard Kango Crew and Get Fresh Crew. Well, I don't think you understood the question, so I'm gonna ask you again. Sid, when did you fall in love with hip hop? Dre, I've been in love with you from the first day I saw you. All right, I got a, uh, I got a follow-up question. Uh, why did it take you so long to say that? Because I was scared and hard-headed. <laughs> Real hard-headed. <laughs> Listening to Hot 97 because I hear no. I hear that they are about to play Cavi's first single. So I'm like, yo, this is a big down here, a big day for Brown Sugar Records. Big things. It's going down, Sid. Just like you said it would. And I couldn't be more unhappy because for the first time since I can remember. I didn't have you to share my life with, Sydney. I have loved you from the first time I laid eyes on you. And I love you still. You're my heir. So, I don't want to be your friend no more. For those of y'all who remember the visual of that, you remember he held up the sign, will you go out with me? Yes, no, or maybe remember that old school sign or the note you would pass in elementary school. And that was really cool. And then eventually, Cavi, who has been feeling the French scene through most of the movie, finally 
musters up the courage to ask her out and eventually she says yes and they play Cavi's song on the radio and then eventually they're playing the music in the park and it's in the park where Dre and Sid's love for hip hop began everything begins full circle and then that's the movie and to me like I said the cameos made it really cool the inclusion of the hip hop stars made it cool the reference of a lot of classic hip hop songs and the crews and everything and really like the characters being into hip hop to me. And that was to me what made the movie cool. I mean, the love angle of it was, you know, obviously something that, you know, it, it was a bonus. I mean, and the fact that it was Sanaa Lathan and Tay Diggs and most deaf, most deaf and Queen Latifah, obviously being two of the best, you know, artist rap artist turned actors out there that are truly committed to the craft and have really been exceptional at that role in acting. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then to add on people like Nicole Lowry Parker and Boris Kojo. Um, but I thought that's really what made it great to me. A lot of people took this movie and they saw that it was corny and everything else, man. But I thought that the movie was pretty cool, man. I'm not going to sit up there and call it a classic. I mean, to me, it's definitely to me, if it doesn't, it's a cult classic, definitely because of the subject matter. It's a hip hop movie to me. It's a hip hop movie and it's a love movie. Wrong romantic comedy. Definitely. And the inclusion of really the elements of classic hip hop and these hip hop artists and it really being based around the fact that people wanted to get back to the essence of what hip hop was and was supposed to be and should be. I thought that was really, really cool, man. So this is a 20 years later. It's a, it's still a favorite that a lot of people like to watch on, you know, like BT on TV one or bounce, you know, like all these different black based channels. It's a favorite. And I, every once in a while when it's on, I'll pull it up and watch it. Cause it's still an entertaining watch. And it's, you know, still reasonably funny, and entertaining to watch actually, man. And then with the soundtrack, I mean, the soundtrack was a reasonably good listen. I mean, there was, the Love of My Life for Ode to Hip Hop with Common and Erica Badu, which actually won a Grammy for Best R&B Song, is a song now 20 years afterwards produced by Erica Badu, Raphael Sadiq, James Poyser. Just awesome song. Um, a really great video as well. Other songs on the soundtrack as well. There was Act 2, Love of My Life, which actually was also on Things Fall Apart, which had The Roots and Common on it as well. There was Brown Sugar which is the song that you heard in the movie that was done by Cavi, actually done by Most Def. Then there's Brown Sugar Raw, produced by Black Star, who is Most Def and Talib Kweli. There's Bring Your Heart by Angie Stone and Diamond Stone. Then you also have the Paid in Full 7 Minutes of Madness, the Cold Cut remix with Eric B and Rakim that gives you an old school flavor to it. Then one of my most underrated tracks on here as well is... It's going down before my Black Alicious, Latif the Truth, the Truth Speaker, and Kiki Wyatt, produced by High Tech and Chief XL. Man, there's some underrated tracks on this soundtrack just outside of Love of My Life and Ode to Hip Hop. Definitely a soundtrack that's not up there with probably the best, best of all time, but there are some sleepers definitely on this soundtrack. I think it fit the movie well. Like I said, when you're looking at a soundtrack for a movie you're looking for something that fits the movie well and i think that with this it kind of fits the movie the movie wasn't over the top so the soundtrack wouldn't be over the top there are some sleepers on here without a shadow of a doubt so gotta give them their props easy conversation with joe scott produced by dre and vidal 
another joint, man. Definitely something, like I said, very, very easy. Nothing over the top and a very solid joint. So let us know in the conversation what you think about it. Pop culture, Brown Sugar, the movie, 20 years old. Holler at us. Let us know what your memories of it. What's your favorite quote? Favorite time of the movie. Also, let us know about the soundtrack. You got any favorite tracks that you want to mention as well? Hit us up on social media. Hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think. Let's continue the conversation. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show. Check out our past episodes. Join our mailing list. Leave a review. Or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.